Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. All right, here we go. This is the SEC Football Show. Welcome in, everybody, for this November 6th edition. The first college football rankings are out. We're going to get into that. How do the SEC teams stack up in the picture? What happened last week inside the film room? We'll take you through each and every game. What happened? And obviously take a look ahead at this coming week, uh, what's going on in the world of the SEC. But we're going to start again. Uh, first of all, I want to thank the fine folks at 401k Generation for sponsoring this podcast. And we hope that you will um, honor their loyalty by giving them a call. Um, if you've got any questions on money management, investment inquiries, uh, whether it's business that you might have and setting up a 401k for your employees or maybe you got a 401k and you want to roll it over to an IRA whatever you'd like to do give them a call they can help you answer those questions see what's the right fit should you should you not doing what are you doing that's right or wrong check into it uh, you want to take advantage of that opportunity to speak with a licensed professional yes licensed in all 50 states Eddie Rojas and his team at 401k Generation is who you need to reach out to today. 1-866-998-5879 by text or by phone, 866-998-5879. And if you are interested in promoting your business, look, we're looking for good fits. And if you feel your business is a good fit and you're a right fit, give us a, a contact us over at LandryFootball.com. Hit contact Chris and we will um, get in touch with you and uh, let you know. Check out this podcast, all the other conference podcasts on Thursdays and Tuesday uh, on Wednesdays and on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Catch the uh, the college podcast and the NFL podcast. So check us out. All right. So the initial rankings came out, and oh my God, there'll be everybody screaming and hollering about this and that on the rankings. Here's the bottom line, and if you haven't heard, I'm sure you have. If you're driving and forgot, Ohio State was number one. Then LSU-Alabama, the matchup of the week and perhaps the year 
in Tuscaloosa. Going to match up two versus three. One versus two in the AP, but that doesn't matter. The CFP rankings, two versus three. And then, of course, Ohio State, Penn State coming up. That's one versus four, at least one versus four as it currently is. Remember, LSU or Alabama are going to be knocked out. One of those teams are going to be knocked out. So the likelihood uh, with a win this week over Maryland for Ohio State and Penn State over Minnesota, which I think are going to happen. It's going to set up. And then, of course, Ohio State's got Rutgers. Then Penn State is going to have a very good Indiana team. But if they're able to navigate that, then November 23rd, it's going to be Penn State at Ohio State and could very well be one versus three or one versus two. So those are kind of headlining the showdowns, at least nationally. But the SEC's got the second, the third, Georgia's at six, Florida at 10, Auburn at 11. Those are your five SEC teams ranked in the top 25 of the college football playoffs. Now, what does it mean uh, for the SEC? Well, the SEC's in pretty good shape. Uh, I do agree that the loser of LSU-Alabama, if it's LSU, is in pretty good shape still to make the college football playoffs. There's a belief, and there's a lot of merit to it, that if Alabama loses, they can't get in. They won't get in. And I think it has a lot of merit to it. However, there's one scenario where I think you'd have to look at it. If Tua doesn't play or plays and is gimpy and plays LSU well and loses and gets healthy and, say, plays better against you know, Auburn, I think you could see the committee say, wait a minute, this looks like one of the four best teams, definitely one of the four best with the healthy quarterback. So I'd, I would not rule out even Alabama losing and getting in, but I think it's less likely because they haven't played that difficult a schedule. Now, they're going to play Auburn, um, but they I think Alabama needs, um, you know, um, a win against LSU, a win against Auburn, and then a win in the SEC championship game and clearly would put them in the playoffs. We'll see how this plays out. Um, But I think that there is still a possibility of two SEC teams getting in because let's go through a scenario of a one-loss LSU, for example, would go up against a one-loss Pac-12 champion and a one-loss Big 12 champion like, say, Oklahoma. That would be, for the fourth spot, it's not as simple as saying, well, if LSU loses, if they do lose, or if Alabama loses, if they lose. It's how they look. I think those things are going to matter. Penn State and Ohio State are also in the same situation. They have every right to get two teams in from the same league, depending on how they play and how it looks. So... Clearly, it's going to come down to those two games that are going to tell us a lot. Clemson is five. A lot of people are up in arms with that. Folks, it's a byproduct of them not having a developed schedule, not looking very well in doing it, although they're playing better. It'll motivate them. If they win out, By attrition, they're going to be an unbeaten conference champion. And although 
Winning the national championship last year doesn't really matter. Shouldn't matter. It does matter in terms of perception. So, look, I think that they would be in. An unbeaten Ohio State would be in. Certainly the SEC champion. Then it would would likely come down to a a one-loss LSU, a one-loss Penn State, a a conference champion in the Pac-12, and a conference champion in the Big 12 if it's Oklahoma. So there's a lot of football left to be played, a lot of decisions that need to be made based upon that. But I think it's fair to say that Alabama would be in tough shape if they were to lose. Um, Again, if they were to lose without Tua and Tua comes back, that maybe sheds a little bit of a different light. But the Big Ten and the SEC are in pretty good shape. Ohio State, I think, got the number one nod over LSU because their overall strength of schedule, believe it or not, is a little bit higher. If you look at it, I think LSU's beaten in Auburn and Florida better teams. But Wisconsin and Indiana, um, the, the overall schedule for Ohio State, no real weak teams. So... Um, believe it or not, mathematically, statistically, it comes out that Ohio State has a better strength of schedule with Cincinnati, who's ranked, Indiana, who's ranked, Wisconsin, who's ranked. Um, so three teams, whereas LSU has not played in the, in, in terms of really good teams. Texas is no longer ranked. That doesn't look as good. They've beaten a good Florida and Auburn team. And with Mississippi State struggling and um, Texas kind of falling off the map, that the strength of schedule's been weakened a little bit numerically, even though I think it's kind of a moot point. LSU beats Alabama. I think next week LSU moves up to number one. Um, I think that would be enough to put LSU one. And then I think Ohio State would move down to the second spot. Penn State would move up to three with a win over Minnesota, then I think you'd see Clemson emerge into the top four again. But we shall see how this um, plays out uh, in the ensuing week starting this week. So I want to get into what we saw last week before we get into what's going on this week. We talked a little bit about when breaking down the Georgia-Florida game is what can Georgia do? What will they do differently? How will they look? How will they have used their time to get this team better? What will they do more effectively in the passing game? All those things were question marks. Well, the thing that jumped out to me was the the superior play at the line of scrimmage for Georgia. Now, people, I mentioned this on Twitter. Some people you know, were quick to point out, hey, but no, no, they, they've slowed down Georgia's run game. This is, again, what I think don't people don't understand. When, in order to slow down Georgia's run, Florida had to play eight men, sometimes put an, a half a guy, an eight and a half guys in the box, cheat up in. Well, they had to overplay with numbers in the box against Georgia's offensive line because Georgia was controlling the front against the defensive front of Florida. That's why Georgia had so much success in the passing game because Florida couldn't keep enough guys back in coverage. So that's the difference 
in the game. Uh, there's no question that Georgia won it up front on the defensive side, but they also won it on the offensive side. And again, I think people just get tied into numbers and don't realize the things that I'm talking about when you break down games and you're even watching it live. You have to look at what it's what effect it's causing. The running game effect, running the football, the commitment to the run slows down a pass rush, and it affects the game even when you're not gaining a lot of yards. So it's a big factor. I thought they did a great job getting Cager open on the on the wheel route versus uh, a three-deep look a couple of times. That was big. Uh, they wore down Florida's pass rush by staying committed to the run game from uh, operated with a clean pocket. The pass protection was outstanding. And again, <clears throat> Why was the pocket clean? Yes, the offensive line did a good job in pass protection. But because Florida's defensive front was catching blocks all day because Georgia was running the football effectively, it slows down a team's pass rush. So it makes the job of pass protection that much easier. They did a really good job. thought the running backs helped out on protection for Georgia well. They were um, – there was uh, <clears throat> 10 completions Georgia had. 10 pass completions versus the blitz. Florida was aggressive, had to be aggressive, and was not effective getting Florida off the field. Um, I thought James Coley had a really good game plan. Um, 119 rushing yards, but they stayed committed to the run game, and that was the key. They were 12 for 18 on third down. They protected the ball well. And Jake Fromm versus the Blitz was 10 for 12, 158 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, so really, really effective for um, the Georgia Bulldogs. Florida lacked a two-minute two offense. Their inability to move the football quickly is a problem. Look, I have, have explained it and for Gator fans. You know, you, you hope that when you explain things to folks that they don't take it personally, they tend to. But even going back to, like, say, the Auburn game, you talked about some of the, the flaws that I could see personnel-wise that they don't match up quite as well. Now, they were able to get away with it against Auburn because of their uh, inefficiencies in their offense. They are able to win that game at home. LSU, they are exposed – Exposed against Georgia, personnel-wise. Florida fans, you know, people will say things. Well, we, it was close in this play and that play. Folks, it's the ability to make those plays that separates you from being close and almost to, yes, being that team. Look, I think Florida does a good job. It wasn't the best game for Dan Mullen, but understand that when you're getting beat at the line of scrimmage, it's tough to have the play calls and the efficiency that you'd like to be as effective. I think Florida's going to be fine. Uh, you know, this is a lot of frustration and a lot of talk about how much better a coach Dan Mullen is than Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart's a good coach. You don't get to a championship game and – win and make adjustments in game and it, 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 at, a, at a playoff level if you're not one hell of a coach. Florida's fine. 
if Florida's going to catch Georgia and maybe surpass Georgia or have its day in the sun to where they can get to conference championship games and, and win again, the recruiting is going to have to match what Georgia's is, what LSU's is, what Alabama's is, and they're not there. So if they are as they are, which is good, talented, fans don't want to hear this, that they're not as good, they're not as talented as other teams. Well, they're not. And when they can begin to match talent, then they can do some of the things that that they're not able to do now, that they fall just short. Now, again, people may say, oh, but we were close. We could have won this. You're close because you maximize what you have. But because you're not good enough in certain areas and not deep enough, it limits your ability to to beat an opponent that's better than you are unless they have a really bad day or you just do one hellacious job of coaching. Just like you can't always win on talent, you can't always pull rabbits out of the hat. So as it relates to Florida, they're going to be fine, but they're going to have to recruit at a top five level. And if they don't, it doesn't mean they can't win these type of games. It just means that it's going to be tougher to do it. They had 21 rushing yards in this game. Florida can't run the football. Couldn't run the football against Auburn. Couldn't do it well enough against LSU. Couldn't do it well enough against Georgia. Got to be able to run the football. Can't do it. You know, yeah, they don't like to play call fourth and inches. But, you know, I, you know why, why you take that chance on fourth and inches? Because you got 21 yards rushing offense. Yeah, it's a bad call. You know, you – you make bad decisions sometimes because you really don't trust a part of your team that's just not good enough. You can't run the football and you run for 21 yards. You make a dumb decision like, let's let's throw. And I'm going to be honest with you. If I'm going to make that call, I'm going to go deep. They, they could have had a touchdown on that play if it was identified quickly enough and throw. It was a tough throw with a lot of risk and very little reward in it. So I don't like the call. But bad calls are born sometimes out of the fact that you don't trust what you have personnel-wise. It's got to be improved. Um, They were out of sorts offensively. No sense of urgency when they needed a quick score. Um, You know, they were late snapping the ball, late in the play clock. They were two for nine on third downs. It just just wasn't, you know, the, the issue. Listen, yeah, I get it. You're out there screaming, oh, we had the, there's a bad play call. It, it wasn't a catch. I get it. I get it. And, and you, I agree with you. You can't. Calls are going to be a problem. you got to get them fixed. I am in agreement with you. Understand something. That you've got, you can't put it all on that. You've got to be able to play better in those moments. You've got to be able to assert your will a little bit more. And for Florida, I think they're talented on defense. They've got to improve their running game personnel. They've got to be able to run a two-minute offense a little bit better. Uh, I think they'll be fine, but they still got a ways to go. Georgia won this game up front, and that was the biggest factor. Everything kind of – stemmed from that. 
Um, I thought the receivers made some plays for the Gators. But, again, without enough protection, it's a problem. They didn't have a lot of opportunities. Georgia held on to the ball, controlled the game in that regard. So, uh, last year Georgia won because they were 8 for 14 on third downs. This year they were 12 for 18. So, you keep control of the game, and then Florida can't stay on the field because they're 2 for 9 on third downs. There's your ball game right there. So any chance of pulling an upset over a team that's more talented and getting them out of sorts is out the window. And you can focus on officiating. You're missing the things that are the most important, as that is getting – I realize the call goes this way, that way, you still might have won it. That's, you need to look at sustainability of being better. Florida needs to be better personnel-wise, and that's going to be up to Dan to get that recruiting up to that level. Ole Miss in Auburn. Auburn piled a lot of points in this game, and the defense played very well. Bo Nix had 340 yards, one touchdown. Um, really dominated the game. The offense did a good job, flipped the field, and the defense did a good job. Um, Nix was very effective. Was able to put the game away. A couple of key first downs. You know, Ole Miss, Plumlee is still playing well. Throwing it, running it in particular. Team that looks like they're getting a little better, but it's, it's you know, they were outmanned here. And it kind of tells you where they are and kind of where the pecking order is in the SEC. Auburn outgained Ole Miss 507 to 266. D.J. Williams ran well. Swartz continues to play well at receiver for Auburn. And Auburn is is on a different level than Ole Miss, and you could say that Ole Miss is not where the elite teams in the conference are. Uh, Ole Miss couldn't generate anything in a passing game, and that was the big difference. Um, Auburn kind of controlled it from the start. They, their first four drives generated – Like 157 yards, two missed field goals, a fumble, a punt. Uh, the defense is still very, very good. So that was the difference. Um, you know, um, Auburn forced a couple of turnovers. Um, you know, so big factor in the game. Texas A&M. Um, the Isaiah Spiller show, boy, they found their running game. He was outstanding. It was 20 for 217, three touchdowns. Um, so it's easy to throw when you run the football. There's no question about it. Um, he played an inferior opponent. Not a lot to take out of it other than the fact that they were able to kind of scrimmage and get things going. Uh, in the run game here. Um, Arkansas, Mississippi State. Um, what a mess. What a mess Arkansas is in. They look so poorly. Um, Kylan Hill was outstanding for Mississippi State. 21 for 234. 
They won the line of scrimmage and the turnover battle. Um, Stevens was efficient in the passing game, made good decisions in the run game. Arkansas has got no answers, folks. Um, you know, um, <clears throat> I'm a little bit concerned that, that things are getting so bad and the answers are not around the corner for Chad Morris that, that a tough week. We'll get into the importance of this game against Western Kentucky this week. It It is not out of the question that he gets a third year. I mean, I've always felt that he would. I still think he will. But a loss to Western Kentucky may change that. I mean, it is he is teetering on the brink of them moving in a different direction. Um you know, they're, when I look at Arkansas, they didn't play badly against Mississippi State athletically. They match up a little bit better than people think, but they, they don't play with a lot of discipline. They're not real smart. You know, I'm really concerned Um you know, you look at it and you think, where do they go from here? Um, they need a win. They need a win in a big way. Tennessee was impressive over Alabama-Birmingham. Bryce Thompson was outstanding. Uh, he really did a good job. And um, they've now won three of the last four games after a one-and-four start. It's a good UAB team. Uh, but they got after UAB's Quarterback Tyler Johnson, who committed four turnovers uh, on his team side of the field in the first seven series. Tennessee scored 20 points off those four turnovers, grabbed a 23-0 lead. So you got to make teams play, and they did. They generated pressures that caused the turnovers, and they made them pay. Garantano was 13 for 21, did a nice job. For UAB, it was just too many turnovers, never gave themselves a chance. So um, UAB's got Southern Miss. Tennessee's got Kentucky. And um, South Carolina, Vanderbilt. And looking at that game, thought South Carolina still gave up some chunk plays in the passing game. Um, Brian Edwards is outstanding. He's one of the more underrated players in the league, one of the better receivers. South Carolina needs to finish a little better in the red zone and limit the big plays defensively, but I thought the defensive line played very good again. Um, They're still inconsistent as a team. They're running the ball better, but slow start, but they're able to take care of business against Vandy, who lacks consistency, not very good. Made a couple of big plays on offense, but they had a, only 189 yards of offense. Um, so, got got a real issue there with Vanderbilt, and that's why I said that Arkansas, you got to be bad to even be worse than Vanderbilt at this point. Vanderbilt's got to win out to get a bowl game. Not going to happen. They got Florida and Tennessee, so it's not going to happen. Um 
you know, South Carolina can still make a bowl game, tough schedule, show some signs of improvement. You know, Will's coming back. It's just going to be about, you know, um, kind of building off of it, off of a tough schedule and seeing if they can kind of build something towards the future. Some game balls of the week, giving one to Jake Fromm, a quarterback. I thought Ryan Halinski did a nice job at running back. I thought Kylan Hill was outstanding. I thought Nick Gibson was outstanding, both from Mississippi State against uh, Arkansas. At running back, Isaiah Spiller had the best week of anybody, Texas A&M. Level of competition, I know. Still impressive nonetheless. D.J. Williams of Auburn was outstanding. The aforementioned Brian Edwards at receiver was really good. Uh, Jamon Osborne of A&M was outstanding at receiver. Lawrence Cager did a good job, as did Freddie Swain. Jawan Jennings of Tennessee. Anaya Smith of A&M. Jalen Wiedemeyer of A&M. Freshman tight ends getting better and better. Watch this kid. Remember him. He's really good. Kyle Pitts um, did some good things for Florida. Andrew Thomas really did an outstanding job again at tackle for Georgia. Thought Devin Cochran was really good as well. Nick Broker of Ole Miss and Sedarius Hutchinson of South Carolina were my tackles that graded out the best at guard. Solomon Kinley of Georgia. Ricky uh, Stromberg of Arkansas. Markel Howell of Auburn. And uh, Dorian Park of Mississippi State graded out well. Thought Darrell Williams graded out well at center. Trey Hilda had a good uh, day at center for Georgia. On the defensive side, I thought the Tennessee ends, Daryl Taylor and uh, Daryl Middleton, did a very nice job. thought Marquise Spencer of Mississippi State and Jonathan Grenard of Florida did nice things. Uh, a defensive tackle, Devontae Wyatt of Georgia and McKelvin Acom of uh, Arkansas, Javon Kinlaw of South Carolina, and Jaden Peavy of A&M were really effective. At linebacker, Henry Toto of uh, Tennessee, K.J. Britt of Auburn, T.J. Brunson of South Carolina, really good. Um, big, big game ball to Bryce Thompson. Corner from A&M, what a day he had. was outstanding. Three picks. He gets a national game ball. He's one of the one of the best performances in the country this past week. Brian Cole of Mississippi State. Martin Emerson of Mississippi State also did a nice job. Christian Tutt of, uh, of Auburn did a good job. Jalen McCullough played well at safety. J.T. Eby of uh, South Carolina played well. Roger, uh, R.J. Roderick of South Carolina also played well. Mark Murphy of Mississippi State. So those are my game balls this week uh, in the SEC. For this coming week's matchup, Florida hosts Vanderbilt. They'll get back on track. Georgia hosts Missouri. Watch out in that Missouri can defend the run pretty well. Georgia, I think, takes care of business. Watch out, number two, South Carolina. Play well against Appalachian State. If you don't, you may not win this game. App State's good. New Mexico State should be handled by Ole Miss at home. I mentioned it before. Big game for Chad Morris in Arkansas. Can't lose to Western Kentucky. And this is a good Western Kentucky team. It's a dangerous game for them. Really can't afford to lose this game. Really cannot afford to lose this game. This would be a really tough loss and maybe cause some problems for Chad Morris's future. 
LSU-Alabama, obviously, is the big game nationally. <coughs> Excuse me. What does it come down to? Well, obviously, you're dealing with the health of Tua. It's a huge factor. Under the assumption that he's going to play well, and I think he'll play, and I think he'll play well. We'll have a high offensive output, I'm fairly certain. What you, I think, will be the determining factor is who can run the football with a little more effectiveness. That certainly can reduce a possession a half of the opposing offense, which I think these defenses are going to have their hands full defending these offenses. So I think the running game is going to factor in greatly here. And who can be able to control the line of scrimmage, run the football the best? That's the key. Um, I think that Alabama has been in a lot of these big games. Saban is tough to beat in these games. Definitely an edge there. But this LSU team has a lot more ability and a potential to match up than... LSU teams of recent years. I think it ought to be an outstanding matchup. I wouldn't be surprised either way. I expect it to be a four-quarter game. I expect, as in any of these games, mistakes are going to be a factor. Turnovers are going to be critical because you don't want to lose a possession with a turnover, you don't want to get behind where you can't stay balanced on offense. And defensively, who can get off the field in the red zone and force threes instead of sevens? You know, it may be a 35-31 type of game. I certainly see it being 30-27. You know, 28-24, I'd be surprised if it's – not at least that, because I do think these offenses are going to be really tough to handle. Now, with that said, I think what you're going to see, potentially both these teams play it a little bit more conservatively, and that could have a tremendous impact on the optimal point level. But I, I do think that playing to the strength and getting a lead is something that people are going to want. And then keep the pressure on. Should be a lot of fun. Going to be a world of difference between this game and the 2011-9-6 game. Should be a lot of fun. Listen, I, I think it's always you gotta you got to win that game. you got to beat the man. You've got to find a way to win those type of games when – you know, if you're LSU, you've not been able to do that. Um, so it's going to be quite the challenge to go in and do it. But I do think, again, they're better equipped to do it than they have been in the past. So it's going to be a great one. Should be a lot of fun. Enjoy it. Um, it's going to be quite the matchup. Hey, want to thank a couple of things else that I want to mention that are key. I think inside run between the tackles. 
Um, Deontay Brown having him healthy has helped Alabama a little bit and getting push on the inside run. Um, and then for LSU, can they defend the fourth Bama receiver effectively? Um, play a flood and Vincent are going to be pivotal for LSU. Um, how do you defend a really good passing attack, which both of these teams will have to do? You play tight man coverage and play to your help, or you play effective zone coverage and be spot on with your leverage and placement and run into the ball and limiting the run after catch. So I think that's uh, that are the keys to look forward to in this game and who can handle those things most effectively are likely going to win. I want to um, thank again – the fine folks at 401k Generation for sponsoring this podcast is it would not be possible without them. We hope you can make their phone ring and check them out. You want to get some information about your financial inquiries that you might have about what you're doing investment-wise. Maybe you've got a business. Maybe you're an individual. You're looking for some advice, looking for some help. They can handle everything, they're licensed in every state, give them a call or a text at 866-998-5879. Again, Eddie Rojas and his team at 401k Generation, 866-998-5879. Give us a a call as well uh, or an email as well at LandryFootball.com if you're interested in promoting your business here. And check out LandryFootball.com for the unique film room insights from a coach and a scout. Discounts are available. Uh, Very affordable, less than a magazine subscription. You can have unique look at the game of football from a coaching and scouting perspective inside the film room. So check that out. Hey, the first rankings are out. We're going to have the big matchup this week. Um, LSU Alabama, some other intriguing games, but that's the big one. That's going to tell us an awful lot. And we're going to be on our way, on our way to seeing where the next step is uh, on uh, now going into week 10. We'll be heading into week 11 next week. Unbelievable where this – excuse me. We're heading into the week 11 this week. We're going to be heading into week 12 next week. Uh, We're really getting to the point where we're starting to see the teams separate and who are the contenders and – the people on the outside looking in. So we appreciate you joining us today on the SEC Football Show. Join us again next week as I'll break down all things inside the SEC, break down all the games for you, update you on all the rankings, and tell you how things are looking inside the film room. Got any questions, send it to me at LandryFootball.com. Hit contract, Chris. We appreciate you joining us and talk to you again next week, everybody. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. 
offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.